0: You're now listening to Hack and Grow Rich with Shaheen Shaheen and his co-host, Bart Baggett, where we discuss hacking your way to success and the unconventional paths to unreasonable success with the people who've been there. And now, the author of Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult, Shaheen Shaheen.
1: This is Hack and Grow Rich. This is the place you need to be if you like to be rich and happy. My name's Bart Baggett, my co-host, Shaheen Cheyenne. I always say that with the Texas accent. I can't, I can't, if I talk to my parents, it just bleeds Texas accent. I know it's not the proper Persian enunciation. So yeah, this is a cool program. We're gonna have an interesting guest today. We generally talk about business, entrepreneurship, and other things related to sort of a shortcut to success, but a lot of psychology. I think today we're gonna to be talking about mental health and psychology and some of the burdens that that us people that decide to, you know, run our own business run into. Shaheen, good to see you, man. Thanks for putting it all live.
2: Good to see you, Bart. What's new? Tell me what's going on. I know you got a new comedy show coming out, which I love.
1: Yeah, I've been writing some new material and so I'll be in LA um, doing the Haha ha Cafe with some new material. And then I'm actually going on a marketing cruise. I'm actually gonna take the risk of living in a COVID bubble. Go on a cruise with a bunch of marketing guys in the Caribbean and do about twenty minutes of comedy, and uh, you know, kind of building that building that foundation for that Netflix special. And it's funny because you know this is just one of those bucket list things. I'm not sure I'll ever make any money from it, but it's hard and it's good and it's satisfying. And um, I, I think I think I'm better trainer when I'm studying comedy. My timing's a little bit sharper when I'm on my Zoom calls.
2: So it's interesting that you talk about that. And actually, this is something that I want to talk to Dr. Moss about. And I think there comes Dr. Moss. Uh, there he is, Dr. Fred Moss. Hi, welcome. Shaheen, Shaheen, how you doing today? Good, good. So we're going to give a little bit of an introduction. So just hang tight. Bart and I will usually talk for a few moments, and then we'll give you a little bit of an introduction, and then you can come on. We're doing great. Um, but actually, as Bart and I were talking about right now, Bart is about to go on a, you said a marketing cruise. Is that yeah. what you called it?
1: Yeah, like 400 marketers, and instead of just a bunch of lectures in a hotel room, they go on a cruise and network, and then nice. I'm one of the headline comedians, and yet it's funny because, you know, 20 years ago, I was the headline speaker about marketing radio. We're, and about TV. TV. We we we're about to go live this evening
2: while we're about to go Yeah.
1: A little, a little reverb there.
2: Got a little reverb there, um, so I think it's uh, Dr. Moss might be playing something. So Dr. Moss, I'll just mute you, and then I'll ask you to unmute um, once we're ready for you to come on. Um, Dr. Moss, who I, I like to think of him as as many things, quite quite an amazing individual with a with a really deep backstory that, particularly at this time. Uh, I think really strikes a nerve because we always talk about foundational thinking when we're on hack and grow Rich, Bart. And I know we talk about how you need to have the pillars of financial success to succeed. You need to have money in cash flow positive real estate, you need to have money on Amazon. You need to have money uh, on uh, you need to have money invested in the markets, uh, gaining revenue for you. And then you also need to have, Uh, a career, something that's relaxing you and allowing you to do all that cool stuff. But here's the interesting thing. I think that similarly with how your finances need to be as diversified as possible, your physical health, your mental health has to be solidified. It has to be balanced. And I think that's a a four pillar type thing, which is why I asked Dr. Moss on, he's very high in demand and we're very fortunate to get him on. I mean, if you can imagine after COVID, the demand for clinical psychiatrists, people in mental health has been through the roof. Dr. Moss, I know has been busy writing and he works with patients in his program, which I'm sure he'll talk about. Welcome to humanity. But in general, I think one of the interesting parts that we can we can talk about tonight is, you know, my psychologist, who I've been seeing, who's a clinical hypnotist, gave me a book on shadow work, and I didn't even know that this was a thing. And it was written by one of these Jungian guys. I, I forget who it is. You probably know the book, and it talks about shadow. And I always found that fascinating that how there could be a part of our psyche that if ignored comes back uglier that comes back and and can dominate our lives so i know for you bart you do comedy which is your outlet for me i make prank calls people don't know this about me all the time and this is a it's a, a a funny thing i um i make these epic prank calls i mean i've got multiple characters i mean i really you know go all out there and lately uh a kid that i've been mentoring i send it to him because it just brightens up his day cuz he sees me as a serious like business guy or whatever and i send him these videos where i'm doing a iranian accent you know or i'm doing a russian accent or whatever and i'm just randomly calling people or or calling scammers back you know that have the credit card scams irs scams and it's a blast but we recently got a film deal and he was in the room playing it when the producers for the film walked into the room. And so I'm sitting at lunch. uh, We're having a a business lunch talking about the movie and distribution and who the director should be and who they feel should play me. And all of a sudden the guy goes, and dude, you got to make more of those phone calls. I love it. And I was like, (laughs) Oh my God, what, what you guys heard that. But I I realized after I read that shadow book that, for me, that's a way of dealing with my shadow. So, guys, without further ado, I am going to let you guys meet Dr. Fred Moss, who's an incredible individual and a better-looking version of John Malkovich on the outside, I'm just going to say. Welcome, Dr. Moss.
0: It's great to be here, Shaheen. That's really great. I love your story about prank calls. And, um, you know, you're never too old to make a really good prank call. I used to love doing that, and you just brought up an old... You know, it's an old uh, standby for me when I was a teenager, I got really, really good. I'd love to hear a little bit of what you've learned how to do it as an adult because it's a really cool way to pass your time. So I'm interested in that type of shadow work. And we'll talk after the show and see how I might be able to improve my prank game.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, we, we do take requests. And by we, I mean, my multiple characters. Um, I, I'll probably end the show, Bart. We'll probably both end the show with a diagnosis. But listening to Dr. Moss and, you know, I've done a deep dive into you, Dr. Moss this week and really, uh, really taken a good listen to some of the material you put out there and The thing I realized is that there is more to you than meets the eye. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to get to. So tell me how you started. You are not. So, guys, everybody on the show, I want you guys to understand because I did not understand this. Okay, a counselor, a psychologist is not the same as a psychiatrist. And all those are valid. Somebody who's like your life coach, whatever We, we make. We poke fun at that from time to time. It's different than a clinical psychiatrist a psychiatrist if i'm not mistaken is an. you are an md you are a medical doctor is that exactly. right
0: yep absolutely i went to medical school at northwestern university from 1984 to 1988 in downtown chicago illinois and i never had a better time in a city than i did in chicago illinois for those four years just great, yeah, it's like great. Psychiatrists fun go,
1: to be you go the them. residency you go through the er like you're real doctors I'm and then you doctor, go dude. let's let's talk about the mind in medicine yeah absolutely
0: yeah, yeah. I I went to uh I went to, you know, I was in a surgical rotation, a pediatric rotation, an OB rotation. I had to, I had the whole gamut and I graduated medical school just like any uh any orthopedic surgeon or proctologist that you might know.
2: <laughs> All right. So you're not a life coach. Let's we've got that <laughs> down, guys. So the the person we're talking to right now, so you know, is a medical doctor. One of one of the most renowned in his field, I think, at a certain point, you said you were seeing thousands of patients. Is that right?
0: Well, over the you know, over the course of years, there are some years where I saw upwards of uh, fifteen hundred or two thousand patients. But, you know, Shaheen, if you want to be honest about it, basically. Sometimes some of those patients were either 10 seconds or 30 seconds at a time if I was seeing just kind of buzzing through nursing homes or emergency rooms or stuff. So these are people who, if you include them, the ones who knew me uh, for just enough time for me to meet them and check on them, then the numbers got to about 40,000 over the time from 1990 up until now.
2: Wow. I think that's about as many girlfriends as
1: Bart has had.
2: Just
0: this year. Just this This year. year. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You and Wilt, huh, Bart? Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> trying to cumulative. heal a deep wound of insecurity by all the forty thousand women i am very upfront about it
2: <laughs> i've done if you ever do the math on those like you listen to wilt chamberlain or some of those other guys and you just do the math on it and the math is just mind-blowing is like mind-boggling. <laughs> mind-boggling. for some of those guys it's like you're like okay so that's three to five women a day every day without a break for 20 years like <laughs> exactly <laughs> all right So, so, so we digress as we do often on the show. So, okay. So let's, let's get back to the more serious topic here and guys, for any of you guys joining us on Facebook, we will be taking questions and answers. So please save your questions and answers and ask them in the comments below on Facebook. And you can direct them to Dr. Moss, Bart, or myself, and we will be delighted to answer those for you. So, okay. So, you, and and this is where I think the story gets really interesting for me. So you are a doctor, you get school debt, you go to school, you get into the system, you do those things that are expected of you. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along the way, you have a splinter in your mind. There's something that's bugging you. So tell us, from that point, which is where I think your story starts to ramp up, what happened?
0: Sure. So I, I really have to start at a point shorter than that, lower or more long, more long ago than that. So I uh, I went to college uh, at the University of Michigan, hoping that I would finally find you know smart people, up the good stuff, and maybe make a life for myself and. It didn't work out that way. So in 1980, I dropped out, uh, 1979, I dropped out and I came to California and tried to find my life and decided that wasn't gonna work. I tried again, I dropped out again. And uh, that was it. I was done with college in 1980. I was never gonna go back. And I came home and told my mom that I would never go back. And she instead got me a, you know, she's like, Fred, well, you gotta get a job. You know, Shaheen, moms will be that way. They, they think you gotta work and stuff. And so I was like, mom, and she, no, Fred, really? That's like, okay. Well, you know, I got to buy a car so I can drive around the country and figure out what my life is about. So maybe I'll take a job, and I got a job as a as a child care worker at a state hospital in Pontiac, Michigan, a suburb of Detroit. And there, I was actually, you know, I stayed for three weeks. That was just long enough to have enough money, and I decided to continue on uh, to work with these children. I worked with kids from 12 to 18, and I was reminded while I was working that communication, connection conversation, listening, self-expression, these type of things have healing qualities that far exceed anything that most people imagine. So I was really enjoying being with the kids, so I stayed on for a little longer and stayed on for a little longer. Shaheen, the thing that really bothered me the most was the way that doctors were treating the children. We would call the doctor and say, you know, the child's agitated. Maybe he was up too late or maybe he got in a fight with a peer or maybe he said no to a nurse or something and the doctor would come and interview the patient maybe like for five or 20 seconds and then write a prescription and then we'd have to hold the kid down and inject them full of drugs. And there was just something about that that just absolutely made my stomach turn every time that it happened. It just seemed like it was so rude and so inhumane. And I saw that and was part of that enough times that I finally made a decision that it was time for me to go back to school and actually become a psychiatrist and bring conversation, communication and connection to psychiatry in a way that i think it was meant to be in the first place now while i was inside while i was in my medical school in chicago uh this drug that you may have heard of before especially you shaheen a drug called prozac was introduced uh to the world and for the next 12 years i mean it was the number one most prescribed drug all specialties included in all of medicine and you know there's the, I, I suppose I'm not even sure which of our two drugs was selling more, but that's a story for another time as well. So it was around that time that we were, we were really, uh, you know, all of psychiatry became biological psychiatry while I was there. So all of a sudden I was finding myself being trained to deliver medications, the exact thing that I went to school so that I wouldn't have to do. Now I was learning to be an expert pharmacologist, an expert psychopharmacologist, and I did that and did that and did that and stayed conventional enough so that I couldn't be dismissed. And, but the whole time, every medication prescription that I wrote kind of twisted my soul. There was like a sacrifice of my soul with every single medication prescription that I wrote. But I continued and continued, hoping that I would find some medicine that maybe I liked or maybe that it worked. Well, over time, that never really happened. These medicines don't work very well. They tend to perpetuate the symptoms they're marketed to treat. So approximately 2006, after quite a life, actually, between 1990 and 2006, I decided to make a difference and started taking people off a medication. And I think that's the splinter that you're talking about here. That's the point where things started to change fundamentally for me. As I took people off their medications, well, they're... They got better reliably and then they got way better reliably and then their actual diagnosis, their condition lifted, like what they thought they had, they didn't have. And this started to happen on a regular basis. So I was like, wow, these medications might be perpetuating the symptoms are marketed to treat. So I started really playing with that and taking a little bit more people off meds and sure enough, they got better. And then i took a little higher risk people off of meds and sure enough they got better and it was really like well what am i going to do because i can't keep prescribing meds that are going to make people worse so i went through the next several years just kind of trying to figure out what's going on here continuing to be a conventional psychiatrist so that i could continue conversations inside the middle of the medical complex and you know inside the middle of the medical industry the middle of the medical industry and I began to really take people off of medicine and become a stand for people who were, you know, actually maybe not as mentally ill or perhaps not even mentally ill as people think they were. I love being in the streets. You know, I share that with you. I love being in the streets. I love being with people who, uh, who are just grounded. And I really got to the point where I could see humans for who they were. And I was back to communicating and connecting and conversing and, you know, sharing and listening with these people and it was looking eye to eye and I began to really pull people off of medicine to be less interested in prescribing and then over the last few years I've even changed that realizing that medicines themselves were not the problem. What was really the problem was this notion that we were diagnosing people as being mentally ill and we were using very vague criteria to make that decision and then once we were diagnosing them and medicating them indeed we made them mentally ill and then we could support with evidence wow. that they were sick
2: wow wow and i believe that right i cuz i think y- there there's definite vested interests in this in this country alone yeah and it's and it's always evident when you go overseas and you walk into a pharmacy and you're like how much is da 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 medicine they're like 23 cents for a bottle. And you're like, whoa, wait a second. Like I've got an insurance copay. I got a this and a this. So, all right. So let's hold on to that thought for just one second. I want to come back. So let's put a bookmark here. On Hack and Grow Rich, we talk about unconventional workarounds, which is how we define a hack. An unconventional workaround to life's challenges or life's problems. And Bart and I have given lots of hacks to that stuff. So now the part that I find very interesting about this at this point is that I oftentimes I teach my students on my Amazon Mastery course and the kids that I mentor the young I say kids I mean these are young startup people in Silicon Valley I feel old when I say kids but I like to say that sometimes. So <laughs> when I when I mentor them I teach them about professionals. And professionals, I don't care who it is, if it's a doctor or a lawyer or an attorney or an accountant, they work for us. We don't work for them. And we use them tactically, not habitually. We use them as a tool. They enter into our reality distortion field. We tell them what the end result is that we want to achieve. And then we achieve that. So I've got students who call me and they're like, oh my God, I, you know, I talked to this lawyer and he said that this lawsuit is very serious and there's nothing I can do. And I just have to pay them. And I say, you know what you do? You tell them to fuck off, and you find a lawyer that tells you what you want done. Mm -hmm. Oh, my accountant, he says if we do this thing, then I'll get audited and it'll be difficult and whatever. Tell that guy to fuck off and find an accountant that'll do what you want to do within reason. Don't be stupid. But you want to be intelligent. So I'm starting to get the feeling that at this point in your story, you kind of have come to the the partial understanding that you, as as a medical doctor, somebody who has taken this oath, that there's more to the practice of medicine than just prescribing drugs. Now, this has been a very lucrative thing for you you've been making money you've been living a good life you've got your pension you've got your 401ks you got the house the car all that stuff is going good for you. your jewish mom is like she's she's loving you man this is like you are my son is a doctor like bart and i always talk about you know persian parents they're always like my son is a doctor it's the best thing in the world it's the it's the you are at the pinnacle of success so at some point dr moss yeah. something flipped inside of you what was it did you take lsd did you mm-hmm. i mean what was the thing that made you be willing to give up the security to 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 sign out of this life of of tiktok going along with one, one of my old teachers used to always call it TikTok, what everybody wants you to do, you know, come on in, prescribe the benzodiazepam. Okay. Get your check at the end of the week, you know, check in once a minute. What well, you, you said, no, you said yeah. something's wrong with this structure. Yeah. So yeah. what, what happened? What yeah. happened that changed that for you? What was that transformative moment for you?
0: yeah well in 2006 there was a lot of challenges as it turned out and I'm trying to see if I can actually pick out a moment but you know the uh there was a um there was reason for me to back up into my field and rethink whether or not I even needed or wanted to stay a doctor there were some challenges from the board I had had a DUI in 2002 and they ran me through a bunch of shit in 2006 that had nothing to do with anything and it was kind of like a little bit of a a little bit of a hazing, a little bit of a witch hunt, and it was rough. And it was an opportunity for me to walk out of the field rather than just face uh, face the music directly. So instead, I did face the music directly, but in the meantime, really had to start looking at what the hell am I doing with my life? What really, What what am I doing? Am I cheating? Am I lying? Am I... You know, am I behind my own enemy lines? Am I causing the problems that I'm here to solve? Am I just taking the money and doing whatever I'm doing to actually be my own enemy? And so with, it really got even louder in 2006 and every year since then, that each diagnosis I made, I didn't believe. And each medicine that I gave, I knew was going to make the person worse. And when they came back and blamed me for getting worse or for not giving them enough medicine and shit like that, it was enough to just drive me wild. Like, okay, if I give you more medicine, you're going to get worse. And then they'd get really furious. And I'd be like, okay, here we go. I'm going to give you more medicine and then you're going to get worse. And then, you know, I had to be, there was so much, you know. So much sidestepping and jiving going on in every single interaction that I was having. And where the pain was, Shaheen, I would say, is the recognition of my soul. That's really what was happening. Like I was doing, I was living a true and honest, duplicitous life. True and honest, but totally duplicitous. I was doing things that were flat against what I knew was right, and I was doing that every day, and frankly, after a little while, whether you're making 200000 2000 or $20,000 an hour, that ends up being really trying, and you know, and some people do it, and they do it the rest of their life, but there was something about it, it was like, you know what, screw this, I don't want to keep doing it, I, and that's when I began backing out of the maze. The truth is, Shaheen, this Saturday, this upcoming Saturday, I think that's October 1st, will be the last day that I ever perform as a conventional psychiatrist. And as of this next Saturday, right now I have a job that's two hours a week. That job is done as of Saturday. And I now get to call myself a former psychiatrist and the backing out of that maze over the last 15 years is way more interesting than what it took to get in.
2: Amazing. Okay, so let's go back to where we were because I really needed to know that you, Bart and I always talk about transformative experiences, how they how they change us. So all right, so now you are at a place where you're like fuck this like I can't I can't keep medicating people. your colleagues your colleagues must have been shocked because I know doctors talk and they have colleagues and peers and people you publish stuff with. Do were they? How, how were they reacting to you?
0: You know, it's a it's a matter of tiptoeing around in a little ways. It isn't like I came right out on the you know on the the bully pulpit and screamed it from the mountaintops. They knew where I was standing, and some I continued at times to do things that were against my better judgment because that was being called for. You know, I like to. I think you're a vegan. I like to. I like to. Um, Definitely
2: not a vegan, doc.
0: Okay, you were there for a little bit, huh? Like you were once a vegan. During huh? my
2: foolish days.
0: During your foolish days, Well, it would be like? It would be like a vegan, a vegan working at Kentucky Fried Chicken. You know what okay. I mean? And like, like yeah. that's not going to work that good. Actually, he's like doing his very best, but he's a vegan, and every time he comes in and they want a three piece, and the guy says, "Dude, you shouldn't be eating fried food. Like a raw vegan, you shouldn't be eating chicken. You shouldn't be eating any. You know, you wouldn't last at that job very long, even though you're a high-powered vegan." For me, it was that's what was going on. I was kind of walking the walk to keep the golden handcuffs on, but flying against who I was. It's true. I needed that money or so I thought. And I love the power and the prestige, but it wasn't it wasn't consistent with where my heart and my soul was. And I really got to discover where my heart and soul was. And that's where I find myself now aligned, aligned more so with who I am and who I get to
2: be. So we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. And I, I, I definitely want to talk about that. One of the things that I thought was very interesting with one of the interviews that you did was that you said something, I think, pretty poignant to your to exactly the point that you're making now. And that was that once you stopped medicating people and you saw people getting better. And by the way, guys, I neither me nor Bart are doctors, And so please consult with your doctor. Dr. Moss is not giving medical advice on this show. So this is just for entertainment purposes only. Always consult with a doctor. We're going to give that to you guys so you don't end up suing us. um, If something goes wrong and you decide to take our medical advice, definitely don't listen to me. I've got the sophistication of a chimpanzee. Um, Bart is a little more sophisticated. And Dr. Fred Moss is actually a doctor, um, but not giving medical advice again on this show. So, the thing that you said Mm -hmm. which in fewer words i thought was that you came to this profound realization that humans are not broken Mm. and that the current structure of how people are treated, how medicine is handled in this country, how drugs are are dished out willy nil to anybody as a, as a easy solution. Whereas they, they they're not curatives. They, 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 in most cases, they fix the, the, uh, the symptoms occasionally, but not the cause. And you came to this realization that not only drugs uh, may not be necessary, but in fact, the condition may be a ghost. Yeah. Exactly. Tell me about that.
0: Yeah, you know. So uh, the the whole idea of psychiatric diagnoses, and frankly, I could go into other subspecialties as well. But I've been uh, advised by coaches in the past and colleagues in the past to stay with psychiatry, since that is my major specialty. The whole idea of these diagnoses are they're a contrived conversation. Uh, You know that sometimes the diagnoses come up even like after the treatments are are created Um, so the whole idea that there is some degree of normalcy and that there is some degree of abnormalcy is based on the notion that we know what normal is in truth I've never even met anybody who's able to tell me what normal is so it's kind of ludicrous that we would have any kind of confidence (laughs) that there was such thing as abnormal on top of that, if we look at the people that we might call abnormal in downtown Los Angeles, these are not the same people who might be called abnormal somewhere else. There's people who in other countries or other cultures would be maybe labeled as having the same condition, but in given a gift, perhaps they would moved into shaman or be, in some cases, they might even become a president of a country. And there's a real opportunity to see that it's culturally specific, it's temporally su- uh, specific, And in fact, it's not even specific. It's very vague on the edges. So I mean by that is it's that's why people who are in the psychiatric system for a long time are usually sporting six, eight, 10 or 12 diagnoses because they've seen enough doctors who have just thrown whatever they have thrown on them and then they walk away as if they have an actual diagnosis. As it turns out, these diagnoses are just contrived conversations. and. Look for the same listeners that you just gave the the um, disclaimer to. I want to say one thing about this because sometimes this gets misheard. I in no way am diminishing the pain and suffering and misery of these people who are having a life that is not working. Mm. This is this this is not saying something like you know it's in your head, get over it. This is not saying like you're not you're not upset or you're not uncomfortable. I completely get. How uncomfortable people can be. 40,000 patients later, I've had my share of seeing some significant discomfort. This is not to reduce that. What it is to go to, however, is what you were just saying, which is people are not inherently broken. People are just like you and I and like everyone else trying to figure out what to do with our next step in this crazy world and sometimes making good decisions along those lines and sometimes not making good decisions along those lines and that's just what humanity is about. So I don't, when I started treating people like people and not like some sort of measure of whether or not they were defective, that's when massive healing started happening between me and my clients and my patients. Wow.
2: So, and I, I get that, you know, in my, I'll tell you, in my early 20s, I was watching a film. It was like one of those action films. And all of a sudden my heart starts bumping. Right. And I was like, Oh my God, I've been poisoned. I was sure I had like, uh, uh, a little bit of nausea and like my heart was beating. I was sweating and I was generally like cool as a cucumber. So I was like, what the fuck is this? And so I was like, I'm going to go to a, a gastro doctor. I went to a gastro doctor and the guy just looked at me and he's like, dude, you're just having panic attacks. He's like, And I was like, what is that? What's a panic attack? And he's like, you know, you're having panic attacks. He's like, I'm like, okay, well, how do you get rid of those? And he said, uh, oh, well, that's not a problem. I'll just give you these meds. Mm -hmm. And he wrote me these meds for, I think it was benzodiazepam or something like that. And uh, this is coming from a gastro doctor. And so I got the bottle of pills. And I remember I was in San Francisco. I flew out to San Francisco on someone's uh, private jet because there was some big thing I was doing there. And they started coming on again, the, the panic attacks. And I was like, fuck, man, it was really hard. I mean, I felt like, uh, uh, debilitated, debilitated, yeah. disabilitated, De- debilitated. Just debilitated. debilitated. There you go. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, I like sitting,
0: dehabilitated, by the way, it's just not a word, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a good word.
2: Like I said, I've got the sophistication of a chimpanzee back. So, um, I took one of the pills and I remember sitting on the bed. And I remember having this very same realization that you're having, which was, wait a second. Like, this just makes me feel like a freaking zombie. And, you know, I'm the kind of guy where I took half a pill. They told me the guy told me to take two. I took half of one of those things. And I'm just sitting going, oh my God, I feel numbed out. Like, that part is numbed out. And I thought to myself, like, fuck, man, I feel like something's been taken from me. Yeah. I feel like somebody took this pain that i could deal with that i what like you're saying i i realized in that moment that i wasn't a broken fucking person but this was an experience that i was having along my journey for a reason and i took the entire bottle threw it in the trash, never took that stuff again. And then I did different things like havening meditation, um, different tactics to disassociate the feelings. Um, and then later, you know, shadow work and learning about the shadow and those types of things. And I, I managed to resolve it, but it that I, from what you're saying, it's making sense to me that that stress, that panic, that anxiety became a part of me. And rather than it being a thing that weakens me as a human, it's something that gives me strength. Mm -hmm. So another thing that you said that was very interesting uh, that I thought on one of the interviews that you did was that, hey, you know what? Like, You may never be 100% and that's okay. There's Mm -hmm. always going to be shit wrong. Why don't you talk to us about that a little bit? Because I thought that was very poignant and powerful. And I haven't heard a lot of people speak truth the way you did there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, I think what you're pointing, so thank you for sharing your own personal journey. That's a, that's a pretty common journey. And one of the things, you know, that a lot of, a lot of people can look at that maybe this will help our listeners take a peek at this is like your panic attack. Let's say you had a mosquito bite, um, on your elbow that was bugging you and you know you just finally got like you got two weeks and couldn't reach it and trying and it got bigger and bigger and you finally decided, darn i better go to a doctor and you go to a doctor and he says oh yeah i seen those mosquito bites i got just like your gastro dude said about about just i got i got just the medication for you and what he does instead he's like okay it's only going to hurt for a little bit and he decides to cut off your arm from the shoulder down (laughs) now when he does that you know, and then heals you. It's like, okay, we're done. That's it. Come back in two weeks, and we'll check to see whether the mosquito bite's still there. And instead, we come back in two weeks, and they check for that left elbow mosquito bite. And sure enough, there is no left elbow mosquito bite. It's been cured because there is no flipping left elbow anymore, and there's no left arm. And we don't have that diagnosis because we're so myopic about what we're looking at and what we're looking for. This is how psychiatric medicine frequently works. And we not only remove the symptom, we remove all capacity to take any kind of experience in from that realm. And so it, it is a false notion that the condition is treated properly by slicing off the arm for a mosquito bite. So what happens, been, I, remind me again, the follow up question that you just, I wanna make sure I answer it correctly.
2: Yeah. So, so I think, I think you're, you're speaking exactly to that. I don't think I had a follow-up question. I think I was just wanting you to speak to that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, the idea is that, you know, we, we aren't inherently broken. There's a world out there and there's the possibility of really embracing every experience as being an experience that life itself is just offering, whether it's miserable or ecstasy as a matter of fact. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So where do we go from there?
0: Well, the next place to really go to is this, is that I began to treat people and colleagues, social workers and nurses, other doctors and friends, family and, you know, citizens, uh, uh, a certain way there was like, you know, opening up this conversation to people who had either been on a lot of medicine or cared for people on a lot of medicine or people who are, you know, thinking about getting diagnosed or have their children diagnosed. I began to have this conversation. And the thing that was most interesting is that nearly everyone knows that this is true. Mm. very few. Like if you really ask them their truth everyone knows that this no one is that shocked let's put it that way maybe they hadn't thought about it overtly but no one is that shocked by a system that continues to get worse and worse and worse last i looked this mental illness problem isn't taken care of would you agree with that i mean there's a fair amount of this stuff going on in the world and part of that comes from the fact that there are so many people being diagnosed and treated and that diagnosis and then the follow-up treatment just often creates at least perpetuates Uh, the conditions they're marketed to deal with.
2: So what do you, what do you do? I mean, Bart, maybe you could help me uh, phrase this in a, in a better way, but what, what do you do if you're the average person and you're thinking you're going to go through the system the way, the way it is, or.
0: Yeah. What should you do at that point? Is that what you're asking?
2: Yeah. Well, what I'm saying is, is that, you've given a, a a profound revelation right that I think very few people who don't have a vested interest in one side or the other and I assume that you're not uh, and don't take this the wrong way but you're not a Scientologist right and they're they're against psychiatry for their own reasons and yeah, yeah. you know you're not uh, you know you're not gonna enlist them in some weird cult or whatever you're an actual doctor Damn. and you're saying hey you know maybe there's a better way mm-hmm I what's think, think the better what
1: yeah yeah I, th- I think what I'm also trying to ask is there are people in a lot of pain right now or, yeah. or your mom They're has right. anxiety or she can't fall asleep or sure. one, of, one of my good friends is a, is a psychiatrist specializing in pain reduction people yeah. in chronic pain mm-hmm. and his job is to help them with their pain so those people exist and those are real problems and mm-hmm. if you have a better solution that's amazing In the meantime, you get this big system where people are just craving for some sort of short-term solution. Mm -hmm. Is it simply people don't have the training and to walk through someone like yourself to find that organic, healthier way to do it? Mm -hmm. Or is it on such a scale there's just not enough people? Because we're definitely not saying don't ever do drugs and don't just jump off drugs. Like we're not giving that advice at all. Not at we're all. saying there may be a path that that won't harm you so the average person say my mom has anxiety and she's taking something bad. how do you want to treat her how do yeah. i help her get over that anxiety and move her slowly to more organic solution
0: yeah it's a great question thank you for that well well stated um bart i think one thing you want to look at is the possibility that these band-aids that we're using have razor blades embedded in them So when I say that the medications, which, are, right, a, a razor blade embedded Band-Aid is going to work for a minute. It will cover the cut for a minute. And then the razor blade will do its job and it'll bleed out of the Band-Aid and you'll think your condition is back. The cut got worse. You'll think the cut naturally got worse and that's how it goes. You know, you know, And then you'll be like, well, next time I go and I'm just going to get a bigger Band-Aid. And you get a bigger Band-Aid little bit higher dose maybe you add a medicine maybe you change you know maybe you change a medicine so those are the three things that doctors do with medicine they can add they can change or they can increase those are the three choices add another one change to another one or increase the dose of the present one we're not even taught how to stop people on medicine we never were taught so there's an unspoken rule when we when we It's a very unspoken contract when we start medicine, right? When you're with your doctor and he's talking about a medicine, let's see if it works. The idea is that you think that if it doesn't work, he'll just take you off the medicine and roll on. But no, that's not really how it goes. How it goes, he takes you off that medicine, he'll either add, increase, or change your medicine. You're on medicine for the rest of the ride. In almost all the cases, and certainly in psychiatry, you will be on medicine generally for the rest of the ride so when i talk to people and again no disrespect at all to people who are being treated like you know i'm sure this is a, if he's your friend i'm sure he's a very competent man fully up to good news and with respect to a psychiatrist who's taking care of pain management but if these medications are also causing the symptoms they're marketed to treat and i sustain i maintain that that there is at least a good solid component of that going on with these medications so that this will be a perpetual state this patient that he's treating for pain management we can be pretty sure that one two three four years from now that dude will still be lining up at the pharmacy once a month to get his drugs I promise for sure and he'll be worse off than he is today I can also promise that so what is the way out of this well one way is in education is start getting look if we actually pull you off this medicine by reconfiguring, the retransforming the narrative that supports its use in the first place, right? If you knew you weren't sick, then you would also knew you didn't need medicine. Now that doesn't really mean to all of our listeners, like Shaheen's already said, really important to get, that I am not in any way telling you to dump your medicine in the toilet right now and go, not at all, not at all, not at all. But if we can reconfigure the base conversation, the base narrative, such that one knows himself not to be sick, except perhaps based on the razor blade that's embedded in the so-called virtual band-aid, then the possibility exists that without a diagnosis, without a confirm a confirmation that there was something wrong with somebody, they would know that they didn't have to take something to make them right. Right? Like, they, like if you knew there was nothing wrong with you, then you could, you could know that there's no reason to treat it. Now, this is the interesting space, and I think you're, I think both of you have kind of brushed up against this, which is you see people talking to themselves in the street, or you see people having panic attacks four times a day, or you see people who are, you know, crying and can't get out of bed. And you know, those people are generally already diagnosed with medication, but it looks like the prevailing narrative is that there's a condition under there that isn't responding adequately to the medicine. And what I'm really suggesting here, there are many ways to look at this, but it's possible that the diagnosis and the treatment are actually perpetuating the condition. And it's time to back out for only for those people who are ready to do so, only for those people who are. Look, if what you're doing is working, by all means, more power to you, don't even think of changing it. Uh, Why change horses in midstream? I'm seriously, if if what's going on for you and your loved one is working, this is not a request to do anything different who I'm speaking with are the people who are sick and tired of getting worse who are mm. all they have been to so many doctors and so many hospitals they've had so many different diagnoses and so many different treatments and shit keeps getting worse that's the people who need to really step back perhaps and really listen to the possibility that maybe what was declared wrong with them in the first place was was inaccurate and that the possibility exists that we can back off that conversation, bring people back to being whole and perfect as they are and set them up in another direction using creativity, using nutrition, using meditation and mindfulness, using um, you know service to others, using performing arts, all sorts of things that we know that are time-tested that actually bring us some degree of sanctity and some degree of help.
2: Yeah. That's interesting too, because I think in the last couple of years, especially with COVID and all the stuff that has happened, is we've discovered that these types of conversation have gone from being nuanced to being polarized.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, take
2: the drugs or don't take the drugs. Mm-hmm. Go to the doctor don't fucking go to the doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Believe in this guy or that guy.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like what I'm hearing from your words is mm-hmm. that oftentimes these things might be nuanced. Like you're saying, maybe the path is going to be what happens if you just take less of the drug for a little bit mm-hmm. and slowly taper off? What happens if you reduce your dosage into half? Most doctors, from what I understand, aren't trained to deal with those types of things. Like they they teach them in medical school, hey, you give them this dosage of this, and it's a it's a one-size-fit-all type of system. Whereas with human beings, we are all individuals. Mm-hmm. And what it takes to make you better and what it takes to make me better it could be very different. And mm-hmm. just even micro changes mm-hmm. to all types of things, the stuff that you're talking about, like meditation, so- socialization. Right? If mm-hmm. we have social contact, especially as men, um, and females too, of course, but what I mean is men hanging around with other strong men that can help bring us up in life as men or women, you know, around other strong women, mm-hmm. um, creating those social bonds, mm-hmm. uh, those can be as, as impactful as as drugs. There's a, there's a great book, I don't know if you've read it, called Spark. Mm. Did you ever read this book? I did. Um, no. Yeah, so Spark is a book that examines the effects of exercise on the brain, and I recommend it for everyone. I think I got a copy sitting here somewhere, but we should get the author on. And in it, he cites one really interesting study because um, I know you brought up Prozac, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that was the drug that he was discussing. And he said that there was this double-blind placebo study, and they had women who took Prozac. And then women who exercised and the study shocked the world because exercise, regular exercise to exertion for females in particular landed better results than both placebo and the drug. Mm. Mm -hmm. So as a female, you could say, Hey, I believe in science. I only believe in stuff that's double blind, clinically proven. I'm not going for any of this woo-woo shit, but I can just fucking exercise to exhaustion, and I don't have to pop the pill. Mm -hmm. But the problem is both patient and doctor are complicit. That's right. Because we don't want to do the work. Most people don't seek discomfort. Most people don't seek discipline. Most people seek, just give me the fucking pill.
0: Yeah.
2: Just give me the pill. I I was reading about this guy today who invented the stuff, right? And you sprinkle it on your food. And you don't need to exercise and you don't need to diet and you can lose an incredible amount of weight. What do you think? What do you think happened to this guy?
0: I, I don't know. <laughs> he, I don't
2: he, know. Made, he made almost half a billion dollars yeah, yeah, selling thinking. this stuff until they discovered that um, allegedly, allegedly, I, I don't know all the details but some of the studies that he was doing were fudged and the the allegedly the people who were hired to leave testimonials were just paid actors but this was a major thing i mean major celebrities got on board with this but it led me to the to the to the thought that yeah you know like We're fucking lazy, man. Most people are fucking lazy. Most people don't want to do the work. So which brings me to you now, and I think Bart has uh, a question as well. I see him unmuted,
1: so. Yeah, go ahead, Bart. Well, I, I wanted just to dive a little bit in, into sort of the fundamental diagnosis process, because a lot of people, especially Shaheen, like they don't know the difference between psychiatrist and psychologist. Yeah. And so the understanding that when you get your blood drawn from a medical doctor and they test that blood and they're looking for, let's say, the coronavirus, it's very specific scientific. If I'm understanding the DSM-5 correctly and the book that identifies, quote, psychiatric problems, there is no blood test. Definitely for any of these purported diseases. Definitely there, not. So let, let me see if, if I understand this correctly, because you're, you're the doctor. So every few years they make a book and they, they diagnose things. I think, uh, I think 20 years ago, homosexuality was a disorder and then they got a lot of shit for it and then they undiagnosed it in a previous edition. So if you d- think this is scientific, it feels more like a committee of people sitting around voting on what new names of things to do and then selling drugs with insurance companies around that now that's simplified it a lot, but is there any scientific sort of medical tests that correlate to these conditions, or is there just a list of symptoms expressed by the patient?
0: <laughs> well it's some it's a hybrid of that, mostly B and not A. you know there's no certainly no tests that support any particular psychiatric diagnosis you know there's oh. There's chromosome deficiencies and, and you know stuff like that that lead to psychiatric looking conditions, but those are no longer given a psychiatric diagnosis. They're more associated with the chromosome deficiency. So it can be secondary to other conditions that there are you know, organic brain syndromes that are related to some other condition that's going on, you know, that you may have been born with or, or then picked up along the way. But there, no, there is no hard and fast w- way to actually diagnose any psychiatric diagnosis with hard copy, with you know, with pulling d- blood or taking urine or, uh, or putting someone in, putting a stick up someone's nose or anything like that. Um, that isn't how we make diagnoses psychiatrically. How we make diagnoses psychiatrically generally is that the public thinks that doctors are like really familiar with all the pieces of the DSM-IV and that we're actually using it to make, to make our diagnosis. But the truth is over time, we see so many patients every hour that we're looking for buzzwords. So I knew that Shaheen, when he was telling me this story, as soon as he said that his heart was pounding and he thought his heart was gonna, I knew already that someone was gonna diagnose him with a panic attack. That was, that's all I needed. I, I I knew I was already ten seconds ahead of Shaheen. I was quite certain that that's how that would go because that buzzword is stuck to panic attack. As it turns out, panic attack has a whole list of of conditions or criteria that has to be met if you're going to actually give that diagnosis. And it's way more than whatever that gastro dude said was a panic attack. He doesn't know anything about the DSM-4 or five. And the diagnosis, the way it's actually written, includes multiple criteria that he doesn't use and frankly, neither do psychiatrists. We just look for, okay, a guy like Shaheen says, look, I'm just sitting there and all of a sudden I feel like I'm gonna die I get sweaty palms and my heart's beating out of my chest. I'm, what do I got? Oh, you got a panic attack. It's like, you know, and then everyone, it just kind of sidesteps the whole thing. And now you have a psychiatric diagnosis, but not only do you have a psychiatric dosis, no diagnosis now, You have a psychiatric diagnosis forever now you're a dude who had panic attacks now you have panic disorder and now we're giving you benzodiazepines which by the way are going to cause panic Mm. reliably not only are they going to take your arm off to treat your mosquito bite but they're actually going to give you panic anyways And now when the panic comes, you're going to be thinking that the Xanax you are taking isn't a high enough dose, so you're going to update it, get that Band-Aid a little bit bigger. It looks like they covered it, and then the razor blade goes to work, and that's the way the dance goes. Now, I don't mean to implicate the medical system. I actually think it's an amazing business model. After all, they make billions of dollars every single day, so they must have worked it out good. It's really a great model to actually create a system that perpetuates the need to continue to use the system. I mean, Lord knows that's a pretty cool model. That's going to get you a house in the hills ultimately. And that's what happens to these guys. But it isn't the system because as Shaheen so rightfully said, there's really this idea. There's a complicity, not only with the doctors, the person who could get, who could stop doing this. Is actually the person who's putting that pill in their mouth every single day in the end. That's all. No one is just because a doctor tells me to do something doesn't mean I have to do it. Like Shaheen was saying earlier, you know, with what do you do with the, this idea? However you put it there, you know, that we use them. They don't use us, the lawyers, the doctors, et cetera. If a doctor tells you that you're supposed to eat a little bit of rat poison due to the fact that you're having trouble, uh, you know, dealing with your mother-in-law. That doesn't mean that you should do it.
2: No, you haven't met my mother-in-law. Oh, that's not for me. Sorry, go ahead.
0: (laughs) You know, it's, it's like, really, you get a choice here. And this idea, I need to take medicine, it's all built into the system that gives doctors a super high power and people the idea that if they don't listen to their doctor, they're being a bad citizen.
2: So, all right. So this is very interesting because I think also on the same token, You know, it's pretty funny that a lot of this technology, a lot of this, you know, the technology of psychiatry, all this stuff, it's fairly new. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these medicines are fairly new. So I -hmm. I like collecting old encyclopedias. If you can see up there, I've got a few of them um, from the 1940s and 50s. Mm -hmm. So from the 1950s, there is a big series of books called the Encyclopedia of Health. And in the 1950s, this was something that was given to doctors that were part of this group, um, as well as the general public. But doctors had this. And in it, what do you think they were proposing was one of the main causes of consumption or tuberculosis? Take a guess.
0: Um,
1: Cantaloupes. What was it? <laughs> it's a it fucking can- random, can- Bart cantaloupes or antelopes no they were not eating antelopes that that was against the law back then so they're eating some kind of food that's common and then they tied it into it
0: yeah or chimney smoke yeah i could see that it was maybe be smoking or work occupation stuff i don't know shaheen help us out
1: masturbation
2: guys masturbation in the 1950s they believed Tuberculosis (laughs) Tuberculosis <laughs> was caused by masturbation. I have this all
1: cantaloupe was social. correct. Cause you can masturbate with a cantaloupe. I saw it no, in a movie. Bart, I think can. we were correct on that not, answer. Thank some you of us
0: right. can't. Some of us don't have okay, the that's the... to get that done Bart, but I appreciate that you do actually. It's kind of good.
2: Bart and I always joke about who's going to be canceled first. And I think <laughs> in, in this, this evening marks a precedence where it will not be me. No <laughs> fruit related issues here. Um, but I will, I will, I will post that. So, but if you think back like, all right, so this was between 1948 and 1953, they published this thing, dude, that's not that freaking long ago. No, it isn't. We're talking, what is that? 65 years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe my math's off, but something like that. So mm-hmm. 65, that's, that's a blink. Yeah. That's a fucking blink, man. The, the, the Vikings controlled all of England. For close to 1200 years. Yeah. We're talking about 60 years. We thought that if you pleasure yourself, that you would get tuberculosis. And it's from that same institution that comes this new thought, which, and and look, I'm with you. I think that medication, there's a way to use it tactically. We just had Dr. Bruce on, uh, Dr. Michael Bruce, America's sleep doctor. Yeah. and he taught us a lot about how to use caffeine tactically rather than habitually yeah. and sure I think you know there's a total place for this if you get yeah. sick you get a bacteria antibiotics are fucking great mm. but there's nothing better than a Z-pack if you've got some crazy uh, crazy bacteria that could pot- potentially kill you. I mean every time I'm like dude like I had a, um, a tooth infection once. And I was like, "What happens if you just don't do anything?" Like, you know, I went to the store. I had antibiotics. You know, it was like five buck copay. I get the antibiotics. I'm good. Like, seven days, ten days. I'm like golden. But not too long ago. I mean, what, what are we? What are we talking? Like, turn of the century, right? You could, you could fucking that. people died from that yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my 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 dad had like. 11 brothers and sisters. And I was like, well, why the fuck did he have so many? And there's only like three left because they just would die off. So you, you'd have to place your bets. You'd have to find, you know, a fertile wife and like knock out as many as you can. Cause you knew they weren't going to make it. So we're, you know, we're pretty fortunate with that stuff. So, but I get your point. So, okay. So we're, 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 I know that you've got stuff you got to do. We're nearing the end. Tell me, tell us more about, How people can get a hold of you, how they can learn more about your work. And I know that this is a living, live process for you. I know that you're evolving. I know that you're going to be launching a podcast soon Mm -hmm. and that you'll be making appearances. So people look for Dr. Moss on different podcast feeds because I know he's going to be doing the podcast circuit and doing some interesting shows. I know we've already got um, several that he's lined up that I'm excited to hear. But uh, Dr. Moss, tell us more about how people can find you, how people can learn more about your work and what the next evolution of this is going to be for you. Sure. So thank
0: you for that. I, I really already have a podcast. that's pretty great. It's the Welcome to Humanity podcast. And we have a, a number of really fabulous conversations, including one just the other day. I mean, each and every one of those is so much fun. I invite my uh, your listeners, our viewers to take a peek at that. Welcome to Humanity dot forward slash podcast. And then there's another podcast that we're looking at called um, Insanity, that's two different words. And that's the one you're talking about Shaheen where we've uh, already um, taped 15 of them. And we're looking at um, post-production at this point and moving those up to the high scale. So those should be released within the next month or so with two weeks to a month. And um, I'm also involved with this program that I'm calling the True Voice Podcasting. So True Voice Podcasting is an opportunity for me to assist people to really find what it is that's important to them the same kind of thing like get out of your duplicity the things that really matter to you the thing that are really important to you. What would it take for you to get really aligned with that and the gift that these people get these participants in this program would be that within about three months and perhaps less than that they would have their own working high class podcast where they indeed like you're doing now and like I do um, really be able to. Uh, speak their truth in a self-expressed way in this using this particular platform methodology that still is not subject as for some reason as we sit here today not subject to the cancel culture at nearly a level that most of the other um uh most of the other platforms are so you know i you mentioned that you thought i'm not a life coach and as it turns out right now what i would call myself is a transformational or restorative coach so I in fact as the Undoctor which is the name that I'm affectionately known as what I do is I walk people off their diagnoses walk people off their medications and give them their life back and you know all of this is aligned with just being like just getting your real self your real unbroken self coming to grips with the idea that the mistakes you're making the stuff you're doing that you wish you weren't doing the stuff that's happening to you that you really think shouldn't be are all part of a human experience Coming to grips with that, embracing that, holding that off, and then communicating that with others. It seems to me that podcasting is one great way to do that. So, my life as a podcaster is the next career. As I really, really hand off this life as a conventional psychiatrist this upcoming Saturday, I'm moving into podcasts at full speed, like, you know, Mach 1, straight, straight speed ahead.
2: I love that. And I'll talk to you off air about that. I've got some ideas for you on that. Cool. Um, all right. So, and if people want to get a hold of you for your uh, coaching and whatnot, how can people reach you? Is it through yeah. welcome to Yeah,
0: that would be one place. If you want okay. to just email me, Dr. Fred at welcome to is, one, is probably the best space to do that. I'm also on the, uh, you know, the regular social media networks. I'm on Facebook and I'm on mostly use Facebook and LinkedIn, but these days I'm being coached into using everything from, you know, Pinterest to Twitter to Insta. So Snapchat, I'm you know TikTok, but but really the two that I I like to frequent if I frequent any right now is Facebook and LinkedIn.
2: I love that. I love that. All right, awesome. And my co-host Bart, if people want to get a hold of you and learn more about all the cool stuff that you're doing, how do people find you?
1: Yeah, yeah. Please follow me, uh, Bart Baggett on uh, Twitter as well as Instagram and little Facebook. B a r t b a g g e t t. And uh, yeah, I'd love to get some some emails, some fans, some uh, some give you some free books, a lot of lot of a lot of good resources I've developed over the last twenty five years as an author and a speaker. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's reach out, and then uh, of course hit the subscribe button so you get a notification next time we go live um, on YouTube and Facebook.
2: Yeah, next time when I figure all that stuff out, but, but wait, we'll...
0: Bart, on this, if I contact you, can I learn this thing the methodology about this cantaloupe thing? <laughs>
1: Jesus Christ. That that is from a movie, a very very popular movie. uh, Wasn't that a pie? was it an american pie, pie? Yeah, it's, it's a reference everybody knows fred i am not getting stuck <laughs> with <laughs> making that done joke done. i'm just referencing <laughs> american pie i, I, I just that. i just all associate right. myself with that humor
2: <laughs> bart makes fun of me for for saying stuff that he thinks will get us canceled and then he just comes out with a zinger out of left field where you're like oh okay buddy fruits huh all right we're definitely i'm checking the not child friendly box in our live stream from now on um <laughs> All right, guys. Well, and I'm Shaheen Shan. Guys, the book is out now, Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Great Pill book. Cult. The first chapter is available for free on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever podcasts are found. And if you're listening to this, the Audible audiobook will be out within the next two weeks. So if you want to wait for that, do that. If not, get a hold of the book. We've got a limited drop now of hardcover books. Uh, The softcover will be available in about 30 days, but the book is available. If you're interested and excited about checking that out, please do so. Let us know what you think. Make sure to subscribe and like and check us out on the next episode. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Dr. Moss, thank you so much for being on.
0: Thanks for having me, Shaheen. Nice to see you there, Bart. And I really, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you.
2: Yeah, likewise.